everyone. Welcome to Chapter Surfing, the podcast where each month I talk about a TV show and the book that it's based on. This episode, we're going to be talking about The Leftovers by Tom Parada, which was adapted for television uh, by also Tom Parada and Damon Lindelof. And my guests are Michael Chow, a cartoonist, writer, and film Twitter personality. Hello. And, uh, <laughs> and Andrew Marcello, a podcast producer. My life's shame. <laughs> Uh, so first off, I wanted to talk about everyone's uh, sort of journey with uh, the leftovers and like what order you experienced uh, the book versus the show in and stuff like that. Um, so for me, I watched the first few episodes and um, didn't really get into it. And then um, I didn't revisit it until uh, one year I was going through watching all the uh, the top rated tv shows of i think like 2017 so i watched the leftovers season three and for a very long time i revisited season three a lot and didn't watch uh the previous two seasons at all and then uh i read the book early this year in january and really liked it and then um i didn't get around to watching the first season of the leftovers actually until uh you guys picked it to do for this podcast uh, so, uh, Michael, what uh, what order did you do everything in? Uh, so I, like, watched the first two episodes, I think, like, when they first came out. And I, like, didn't really like it. And I kind of fell off, like, immediately. But then, like, by the time of, like, the final season, people were, like, really raving about it. So I was like, I'll give this a shot. And I, like, watched through all of it. And I, like, really loved it. Um, and I didn't read the book until uh, you invited me to do this podcast. But I really liked the book also. Yeah, I had pretty much the same experience with watching the first few episodes after people recommended it. And um, they're really not that bad. I felt like when I went back, now that I like retroactively care about the characters, I thought they were like perfectly good TV episodes, which I think happens a lot. Um, Andrew, how about you? So I watched The Leftovers, I don't think right when it was airing. I think when season two was getting a lot of buzz, I I was living um, at home after college and uh, my home had an HBO subscription. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll check this out. Um, I actually watched most of the first season at the time. I didn't finish it. But when I went back to watch The Leftovers um, recently, which was actually, I think, earlier this year or maybe last year... Um, I didn't I didn't actually remember having watched uh, that much of season one. I think I didn't dislike it. I think it just wasn't something that like uh, stuck to me very much. Um, but having come back and watched the first season the second time, I really did enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed a lot of the episodes individually and I enjoyed the, the whole season as an arc. Um, I actually have not gotten around to watching a lot of season two or any of season three yet. Um, because I was trying to focus on reading the book for this podcast, um, which I, I don't think I would have ever considered reading the book otherwise. <laughs> and did you uh, did you read the book uh, after you finished your rewatch of season one? Yeah, yeah. I rewatched season one before um, you asked me to do this podcast, um, but it was something that was kind of fresh in my mind. So I was like, The Leftovers <laughs> sounds great, because <laughs> nice. I knew that season one was what encompassed what was actually in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, and so for this book, uh, I feel like there's another factor uh, 
making our experiences different other than book first or TV show first, which is the point in 2020 <laughs> at which you guys watched sure. and uh, read this. <laughs> um, so I read the book in January. And um, so reading it, I was thinking about like climate change a lot mm-hmm. and like 9-11 a little bit. Um, what was it like for you guys reading it much later in 2020? I definitely got, like, the COVID parallels. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. watching the show, I was like, oh, this is, like, a 9-11 analogy. But mm-hmm. going through it now, like, oh, it's, like, just people trying to deal with, like, trying to act like things are, like, normal when, like, things absolutely aren't. And, like, so many people are, like, disappearing or have already disappeared. But, like, it's it's interesting. Yeah, actually, I'm just remembering I did not watch uh, it last year. I watched it in March or April. I pretty, <laughs> okay. I went from watching uh, the movie Contagion, and then I was like, you know, it'd be great if I watched The Leftovers again. <laughs> so that was something that was very, very fresh uh, in my mind when I was watching it, and actually a lot less so when I was reading the book. Hmm. Is that? Do you feel like that was because of timing, or just that like the book had fewer parallels? Um, I don't think it was about timing. I think it was more the book made me think about other media more mm. so than than reality like the book itself i wasn't expecting the book to reference left behind directly and be like hey you know this other book where it's about the rapture this book is also <laughs> about the same thing <laughs> um but also i've been playing the the playstation 4 game death stranding which is about a mysterious unexplained event that is caused like an extinction level event that is irrevocably changed humanity. And also uh, everybody lives in bunkers now and is afraid to go outside. <laughs> so um, I was kind of thinking about other stuff like that that I've been consuming while reading the book sure. rather than um, the, the maybe, and maybe it's more for me just an urge to like, escape and not have to think about that at this point. So maybe it is a timing thing and I'm just not thinking about it that way. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, uh, what were some of the biggest, uh, differences that leapt out for you, to you between, uh, the book and the show? Uh, Kevin Garvey is, like, an entirely different character in the show versus mm-hmm. the book. Like, he's just kind of, like, a boring guy in the, the book. <laughs> yeah. I, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of him as being so radically different until you said it, because there's sort of, like, a core that I really latched onto mm. with both versions of Kevin Garvey. Uh, as just sort of this like uh, clueless guy who's just kind of trying to do his best mm-hmm. and is just like, uh, I guess like you would call him a himbo, <laughs> just like barely knows what's going on, but is just, just trying to do his best sure. uh, that I really like with both of them. And I think uh, they sort of captured like a spirit of him. Um, hmm. But yeah, I agree. Like, once you pointed it out, I really saw uh, the differences. And um, I feel like in the book, the sort of, like, washed-up jock thing comes across Mm -hmm. a lot more. Sure, yeah. Um, I think I was probably reading it knowing that um, Tom Parada also wrote Election, that I was a little bit like, oh, this guy is, like, just Paul Metzler (laughs) if he, like, grew up enough to be, like, a little smarter. I didn't know he wrote Election. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you can sort of, I haven't actually read Election, I've only seen the movie, but I feel like you can s- notice some similarities yeah. between it and The Leftovers. Yeah, definitely. Like, he definitely thinks about teen girls, mm, a red flag yeah, amount. it's, it's yeah, kind of odd. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I mean, I really, I do think it's usually, like, good. Like, I feel like um, 
Tom Parada like captures being a teen girl um, and it all like resonates, but it is still definitely a red flag amount of thoughts on the matter. Sure. Well, anytime like yeah. Kevin thinks about the teens, it's like kind of weird. Yeah, I was glad they didn't really like get as into it in the show. I felt like they she kind of just drops off. Um, whereas in the book, they get like I don't remember how close they get. Do they actually like kiss? I feel like they at they least, like, like rub up it, against, right? against each other. Yeah. it's like kind of a weird oh. scene. <laughs> I expected uh. based on things that I'd I'd heard and read online when watching the first season because I was getting uh, actually increasingly uncomfortable with um, yeah. Kevin and Amy. So I I did a little cautious googling and it was like, well, in the book it's like even more explicit. So I was expecting things to actually go uh, further between them, and I was kind of relieved when I got to the end of the book. But yeah, them having like a a close embrace was like the catalyst for her leaving in the book. Um, where I do think in the show she kind of is just like, well, it's time for me to go, time for me to move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I felt like in general, um, it's interesting. The show is actually co-created by Tom Parada and he's actually written several of the episodes um which is interesting because I feel like it uh the show doesn't seem that interested in a lot of the storylines from the book Mm. which I guess sort of makes sense if he's like I already wrote them once like why (laughs) would I want to do the exact same thing again um but I noticed a lot it felt like in general a lot of stuff kind of like fizzled out or the show seemed uninterested in it like um I felt like I wouldn't even know what was happening in the Tom storyline if I hadn't yeah. read the yeah, book definitely. beforehand. Like, I feel like they don't explain it. <laughs> I had to wonder as I was getting towards the end of the book, um, I don't know, like, factually what the plans for the TV show wa- were. Like, if it was like, this show will always have more than one season and we're just going to do the book in the first season to move on. But I started to wonder, like, as the show progressed and, and HBO decided they wanted more seasons or anything, that they we're going to wrap up certain character storylines, not only differently than the book, but maybe differently than they originally planned for the TV show as well. Mm. And I started thinking about that um, in particular with Meg, uh, because Meg has a very different ending in the TV show (laughs) or resolution in the TV show than in the book. I'm glad they kept Meg around because I love Meg. Yeah. Yeah, Meg is really a a really different character. In the book, she's like 20, right? Mm -hmm. She's like 20-something. Yeah, she's like... She's... Definitely supposed to be like a lot younger than mm-hmm. um, Liv Tyler. She's one of many characters Tom Perota describes as sexy and expects our brain <laughs> to fill in the lines as to what sexy means. <laughs> um, get his ass. Uh, yeah, it's it is really funny how um, different that story turned out. Um, and I felt like uh, when I read the book, I got sort of a message from it that it was about. Um, instead of people like struggling to return to normal, a lot of it was about like people struggling to not have things be normal. And like Kevin's uh, ex-wife is, I'm trying to remember her name. I keep thinking. Lori, yeah. Oh yeah. I kept wanting to call her Amy because of judging Amy, <laughs> the, the actress. Um, but yeah, Lori, I feel like is the most obvious example where she like really, really tries to radically do things different. Cause she's like, we can't just like ignore this event. Right. It's so huge. We have, we have to make our lives different. Mm-hmm. And then slowly it's just like, oh, it's so nice to like eat pizza and talk to your friends. <laughs> and it's like so hard to not go back to normal. And I felt like, um, that, uh, uh, isn't as much the message with her storyline, her and Meg's storyline in the TV show. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think it's interesting that you say that because I started thinking about the sort of difference in the in the core message or what it's about of the show versus the book. And I definitely did also think that the, the show's a lot about grief in a lot of ways. Um, and I my takeaway more from the book was that it was about I still haven't been able to like word this in a succinct way, but like people disappearing and that that just being like a reality of life. Cause you get through the book, like through the book, people are disappearing. But then at the, I mean, obviously there's the catalyzing <laughs> yeah. event of people disappearing, but there's throughout the book, like people disappearing in different natural ways that mm-hmm. happen like really in life. And then as you get to the end, people are, are really dropping off. And it's like, well, that it feels like to me as I was reading saying like, well, that's life. That's what happens. People yeah. disappear. <laughs> And, you know, this one time people disappeared in a really weird, unexplained way, but people disappear all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely get that feeling. And um, I think one of the big differences um, that's like an actual plot difference, but also makes the themes really different is that in the book, an, a really interesting thing about the Garveys is that they didn't really like lose anyone close to them. Um, but Tom and Lori and Jill are all still really freaking out over these people, these like acquaintances, um, who it's like they sort of would have drifted off, but, uh, between anyway, even if they hadn't gotten leftovers, um, and in the, uh, <laughs> the show, uh, it's pretty different because Lori loses the, the baby, the fetus. Oh my God, I um, forgot about that. Yeah, Does Kevin know about the which fetus I, in the TV show. I forget. Um, no, she t- she doesn't tell him until like season three. Okay. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a really interesting difference, and I mean, I understand why they put it in there because it's a really just like cool thing to think mm-hmm. about if you're doing a leftovers show. Um, but uh, it really changes. I thought Lori as a character that she actually had something so like unsettling and personal happen as opposed to it just being like you know, my my daughter's friend who she's not even close to anymore disappeared. Um, but I think that that probably ties into what Andrew was saying of like, it's a lot easier to get that sort of like, that's life feeling when like a lot of them, they like haven't um, lost anyone that close to them. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I hadn't thought about how none of the Garveys really lost someone directly, at least in the book, like someone really uh, who was important to them. Um and I'm thinking now, I'm thinking about how that contrasts with Nora so much and how I never even like yeah. made that connection. And Nora, for for her part in the book's narrative, she really looks down on on Kevin the most, which is interesting because Kevin Kevin has, loses people close to him, not in the Lefters event. Kevin keeps losing people throughout the events afterwards. Um, but Nora kind of resents his... Um, negative emotions over that because he still had people to lose yeah meanwhile there are these people in his family who like didn't really lose anyone and they're they're losing themselves over it yeah i really love that dynamic between them because like two of your immediate family members joining two separate cults is such a sad and upsetting thing to happen to someone but i totally get nora just flat out being like you can still call them (laughs) it's not the same like you still have like issues with them that you can still yeah. deal with. Yeah, I, I really like that um that restaurant scene between them when Kevin is like crying oh, and yeah. she's just like I can't deal with this right now. <laughs> being sad. Um, she just like straight up leaves. Yeah, I um I think Nora is definitely the best character in both the book and the show, yeah. and um that sort of like meanness she has, but like a very like 
justified meanness where you're on her side I really like and I just love her um her confidence uh I I feel like she's really written in a way where you don't see a lot of female characters um written where it's just like full confidence um without being like that mean girl stereotype uh I really love the story um in the book about how she was always talking about what a good girlfriend she was <laughs> and then her boyfriend is like why why do you think you're a good girlfriend yeah, in the show she's like a lot more chaotic of a character which I do like but it's like a very different take on her like everyone in this show is like much more self-destructive I think yeah I will I think they all kind of are because um they want to get those like big dramatic tv moments so there's much less um people sitting around yeah definitely like one of the biggest contrasts is uh nora hiring people to shoot her <laughs> as opposed to just uh watching spongebob Squarepants all day. i do think that people in mapleton on the tv are less judgmental of nora carrying around a gun and doing god knows what with it than the people in mapleton are in the book of her watching a children's cartoon <laughs> like everyone she talks to is like that goddamn yellow sponge that freak he disgusts me <laughs> yeah um i really liked the ch- the spongebob chapter i think that was probably my favorite part did you like it yeah i think it's like really moving like she just wants to hold on to this like one thing from that she like remembers about her family it's like really sweet and sad yeah i felt like the sort of um it like showed how when you have uh, kids, it's just like so easy to take it for granted that it's like, you know, it's super like annoying. And SpongeBob sort of repre- represented like this abrasive sound that's constantly on in the background that like other parents can be like, oh, yeah, that's annoying. And she's like, no, I miss it's so beautiful. I miss it so much. It's like her like monologue that she has in the beginning where she's like, eh, you know, I don't need that perfect day. Like I'd ra- I, I would I, I miss that one like week at, where we are just like super ill. Like I'd go yeah. I'd give anything to have that one week. It's like something like I think we all kind of relate to in some way. Yeah. And I feel like it's so um, it's such a big gut punch when she uh, when SpongeBob isn't doing it for her anymore because she realizes her kids wouldn't be into that anymore and she doesn't know like what Mm. they would be into and then she's asking the other parents like what are your kids like and they're just like get away from me weirdo (laughs) but like it's that part is sad too because you get the impression that the other parents are actually really trying they're just trying in the wrong way like they're like oh poor dear poor you and she just wants to know like the shit their kids do so she can copy it which is weird but like (laughs) There's just that la- that lack of understanding and being able to only see it from Nora's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked. Like you feel that like helplessness almost. Yeah, I feel like that was. Uh, there were sometimes when I sort of wish I had watched the show first without the book in mind because there were definitely certain moments and getting to the Nora episode was a big one where I was like, oh, good, I want to like watch her watch SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> like that part was so good, and then instead having the like hiring someone to shoot her i was like oh this is a very different day i really liked that episode though i hadn't read the book first so that Mm -hmm. there there's like the journey of like what the fuck is she doing with this gun and like that whole intro but also that's the same episode where she goes to the conference right yeah yeah i i loved all of that i wasn't missing it in the book i wasn't Mm -hmm. but um and i think because she gives she gives that um, monologue that you were talking about 
at the conference in the show, right? But she gives it earlier in the book. Uh, yeah, she gives it the, like, the big right? like uh, like parade in the very beginning of the book. Yeah. Um, but so that's, I think why I wasn't missing it. Cause that was like the really big moment from that episode even. And I'm glad they just adapted that straight, the, the words pretty much straight. Um, but I, I really like Nora's character in the show. I like, uh, Carrie Coon's portrayal of the character yeah, I love a Carrie Coon. lot in the um, show. And I think both really, really shine in that episode. Just th- this, her, um, her impulsiveness more so in the show, but also like, you understand it. It's not just like, whoa, this lady's so random. <laughs> like, you really get why she's doing all that stuff and, like, the the void that she's trying to fill. Yeah, in the show, she's, like, trying to move on, which is, like, very different from the book, where she's just, like, trying to hold on to everything, I think. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I felt like the, the original stuff in the show was almost always better for me. Whenever there was sort of a direct <laughs> scene, I often felt a little bit disappointed like um Kevin and Nora's running into each other um and at the like dance I remembered being like so romantic and then it fell a little flat for me in the show um but then the original stuff I think where the stuff from the book isn't in your brain is so good like I um my favorite episode I think was probably the big Matt episode episode three which is just like uncut gems, basically. Yeah, it is just uncut gems. Um, yeah, and that was fun because that's a character who's like really not a big deal in the book. Um, he's not even Nora's brother, right? He's just like an right. acquaintance. He's just like um, a priest. And oh, because there's yeah, like sexual really... tension between them in that one scene. And I was like, I sure hope they're not related in <laughs> oh, this book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I totally forgot that. Um, but yeah, it was fun how much they took like just... Um, you know, he's a reverend and he's inventing cancel culture. <laughs> said that on Twitter, right? Um, but yeah, they like took that character and ran with it so much. I really liked Matt in the show. I was kind of disappointed at the at, at the start before I accepted that like this is a book about uh, the Garveys and Nora. I was pretty upset that Matt had such a reduced. I mean, obviously the book came first, but like um, I really did like Matt in the show. I, I lashed on him a lot as a character um, and he's definitely... I mean, I would say he's probably a better person in the show, but I also think in general, he's just, even if you don't think that, he's probably more of a sympathetic character in the show than he is in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they. I feel like the book just sort of like doesn't really get into sort of his motivations at all, um, other than just being bitter that he wasn't raptured, which I do mm. like as a character trait. What happened? Does anything even happen in the book or did he just kind of like fade off? No, I think his like, Big thing, as far as I remember, is, like, telling Nora about how her husband cheated. And then, um, yeah, he's just really not a big deal character as much as far as I remember. And um, an- another interesting character who's not in the book at all is Patty Levin. Uh, she's, like, a, she's got, like, a couple scenes. Oh, she, she is? Okay, yeah. I didn't remember her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's just kind of like a middle manager type in the book, basically. But she like helps orchestrate the like framing of the murders, which they bring into the show. She sends Meg and uh, Lori to Outpost Seventeen, which I really liked that plot. Um, I actually that's the, that's one part. Of, yeah, in the book, um, I don't I don't remember if they adapted that to TV at all. But in general, I liked Lori and Meg's relationship a lot more in the book. Oh yeah. That- um that it was like a genuinely really sweet uh relationship and yeah the show is much more like oh yeah it's a cult (laughs) god 
they like barely have um, like a relationship in the TV show. I feel like. Yeah, they also took out um, the gay couple that murders yeah. each other, which I didn't enjoy. Uh, even though I was like, oh no, the only the only gay characters in the book were got murdered. I really wanted um, Megan Laurie to to get to a point where they openly um admitted that they were in love with each other uh but <laughs> instead we got into uh let me see yeah i wrote coward on the stage <laughs> i love you she said speaking only with her eyes you're so brave <laughs> i love you too meg silently replied you're my sister <laughs> come on that, yeah that's fair that's fair and like really i i was hoping that the couple they moved in with were like gay and then mm-hmm. it it happened and I was happy and I was happy that basically the only like active enjoyable sex that appears to be in this book is <laughs> between two men um, <laughs> you didn't think that Kevin and Nora were hot together did did we really did they like did I just did I just imagine it I really felt like there was like a good sex scene between them that's in the book and that's definitely in the show wow okay <laughs> Kevin has more explicit sexual interactions with other women. Um, and then we get to hear his weird, gross internal monologues about it. <laughs> what to go? I meant to say this sooner to go back to Kevin and his weird, gross inner monologue. Um, we were talking about how Kevin was different in the book than the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that there are like core traits that carry over between the two of them. Uh, Generally, by the end of the book, I felt like Kevin in the show is like not that good of a guy who at first like thinks he's a good guy and then comes to reconcile the fact that like he's not really, but he's like doing the best Mm -hmm. he can. And maybe that's all we can do in the book. Kevin really thinks that he's like a good guy doing the right thing Mm -hmm. all the time, even when he's not. (laughs) And I think to a point, we the reader are supposed to know that some of the things that Kevin thinks are him being a good, nice guy are not. To some extent, I worry that some of that is Tom Perota imprinting mm-hmm. what he thinks a good, nice guy should do and being wrong. Yeah, it doesn't seem as self-aware in the book, but that could just be like my re- our reading of that, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. In the show, he's like pretty explicitly like a pretty bad guy, actually. <laughs> it, um, I thought it was crazy that the show was like, we should add in some dog murder <laughs> to really uh, get people on board with all of yeah, this. All of the lore is like new to like the show, like the hallucinations that Kevin goes through and like all yeah. of the magic that gets brought in. Like none of that is actually in the book at all. His dad isn't in the book. I like just realized that yeah. his dad isn't in the yeah. book at all. Because that's the only reason why like Kevin's a cop, right? He's like kind of just taking over like the family job basically. <laughs> yeah. I liked the the small business well smallish businessman angle to the book actually. Yeah, I agree. And like the patriot like there was something about like the way that American patriotism is written in the book that I don't think the show really touches on very much at all. Mm. Like his like patriot like and the whole parade at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like I did like the way that this is being said as like here's small any town USA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's um isn't it Mapleton, Ohio in the book as opposed to Mapleton, New York? I don't remember. I have definitely imagined it still as upstate New York. Oh, interesting. 
Um, but yeah, I agree. I really like him as a small business owner. And it's funny that um, the the book really goes out of its way to give everyone sort of like passive income, like Kevin's like already successful from selling his business and Nora got a bunch of uh, departed stimulus money from the government. Um, and I guess that's just like a difference with um, books is like, people just like sitting around can be more interesting because you get all of their like thoughts and feelings on the matter um and obviously the show is much more like we need to give them like um uh active jobs like police Mm. or departed investigator you said you didn't like that about nor in the show right lenny or you didn't like that as much yeah um i the the departed investigator stuff i guess is like okay it was just like a little jarring um but uh yeah I guess it's fine it just like sort of felt like um Kevin and Tom were cops and then she's also like kind of a cop because <laughs> she's going and asking people all these questions um yeah I did like them just sort of being like more passive nice suburban people in the book but I I get why you would want to have like the active investigations going on uh, one thing I liked about Nora's uh job in the show was having not had prior knowledge of the book was that um was how she was questioning her role in it and sort of how she felt about it and i really liked um i don't remember if this happens in one episode or it's like a multi-episode arc thing with her um asking the question like the last question and they're like you always get the same answer for this question and then you get to the end of the episode and like her feelings have finally changed and you and you don't see her ask the question, I think, until the last time she asks it and she gets a different answer. Um, I really, really liked that in the show. And again, um, the question is like, uh, like, do you think like your family is in a better place? That is the question, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Which like I think like in the show, like Nora feels like she doesn't deserve to be in a better place. So that's like an interesting angle to her in the show. Yeah. And I think that's also a good example of how well this show, like, builds episodes, which I feel like um, a lot of the time, especially in um, uh, uh, shows based on books, especially, like, with shorter seasons like HBO has, um, they have more of, like, a uh, long movie feel. And I really like how much uh, this this show, like, builds every episode to, like, a really interesting, like, actual end that's not just, like... Tune in next time for the next chapter. Yeah, it feels like real TV in that way. Like, I like how much the show just, like, narrows in on, like, specific characters. Like, that's when the show got really good, I think, is when they started just doing, like, very character-specific ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, like, that was was good about the book, too. Like, we just got, like, into their heads. and Like, it's better that way. <laughs> yeah. Having watched um, Lost and The Leftovers and, well, the, the first season and a half of The Leftovers and um, Watchmen, I think... Damon Lindelof's strength is probably that kind of character-based storytelling where each episode can hone in on a character and tell you things about them and then kind of move on without abandoning that character. Um, But I also think the book's structure does lend itself well to the structure of the show as well. Like, I was appreciating how the show incorporated a lot of, like, mini time skips. Like, most of the episodes aren't really concurrent either. It'll be like, they'll give you... a some context clues at the beginning of the episode as to how much longer away uh (laughs) i forgot how to do words um this episode is taking place from the previous one um and the book just kind of because you're reading it you know like a book 
uh, just jumps around willfully, which, you know, I think, I think both the, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> the TV show does well as an adaptation in that sense is yeah. what I'm trying to they say. They both take place over the course of like about a year, right? I think so. That's what I imagine. Oh, and the, um, isn't the book later? I was trying to remember. Uh, the show takes place like a year after the Leftovers event, but the book takes place three years after. Am I, is that right? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> no, sorry. But yeah, the the book does do that where it skips around. One of my favorite parts of the book is when it's just like um, Kevin and Nora had just gotten back from Miami together. Yeah. Like we don't see that chapter. Um, uh, I was bummed that uh, he didn't go to Miami with her in the show. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, I do get not um, abandoning your daughter when you're her only parent at that point. Uh, but it bummed me out. I, I like them going to Miami. I think the respective decisions make sense for each version of Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the Kevin in the show does feel a lot more obligation to like be there for his daughter. Whereas in, in the book, Kevin's like, you know, she's she can do whatever she wants. She shaved her head. She's independent. <laughs> Uh, they're like scenes in like the book that are only alluded to that they just like straight up do in the book. Like uh, when Christine abandons the baby, that's like explicitly in the TV show. But in the book, you like you kind of just see him go to the bathroom and then he comes back and like apparently there's a baby there now, which I kind of liked about the book. I, yeah, me too. Yeah, I loved that part so much in the book. And when um, when we got to the end of season one, I was like, oh, they're going to do it. It's all it's all leading up to this. I was like getting so hyped. And then um, it gets to that scene. And my roommate right away was like, why did they leave a baby unattended? <laughs> <laughs> because it's beautiful. I, <laughs> I liked um, to this point about the book. I, I did like that the book would skip over things and then allude to them after. Um, which we were talking about um, Kevin and Nora having sex before. And that's, I think, how that was handled in the book. Yeah, I think it's in Miami. But I feel like it was hot. Oh, I that's feel like right. had enough detail. And that's, but I like how it's like, you know, these things have happened and then the characters are reflecting on them and like reflecting on how they felt at the time, which I think is, is in some ways more interesting than just being like, here's it happening and here's how they feel in the moment. I guess there's no way you can do that with like TV though. Like, it's not as interesting yeah. to, like, to skip over you, on the TV. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely tell how um, the TV show, I think, is, like, what an adaptation should be in that, like, it really thought through of, like, how do we make people feel the same way while being, like, very visual and very TV? Because, yeah, I think, um, I feel like a lesser adaptation would, ha- would, like, have the same stuff and maybe with, like, voiceover or just, like, not even that, just like watching Nora sitting on the couch watching SpongeBob, which like without the pros, you would be like, okay, she's watching TV right now. <laughs> yeah, it's better to capture like the vibe of it than like try to do like a very literal translation, I feel like, and with any adaptation, really. Yeah, I think the, um, the show and book make me feel pretty similar ways, despite being very different. My, um, my Goodreads review of the book was something like, uh, uh this uh you know this captures how horrifying it is to live in modern times and i love kevin and nora so much which is like basically my review of the the tv show as well i was gonna say like the the show is like definitely a lot more exciting but there are like similar feelings throughout each of them like the the show just takes like bigger dramatic swings i think yeah i feel like that um 
that's probably like a good call the the um book i'm pro i'm probably thinking of this because it's uh the quote from stephen king on the cover but i think it really is true that it like feels like a twilight zone episode because mm. it's like one weird thing happens and the whole thing is about that and i think it made makes sense if you're gonna adapt something into something that's more than like a couple hours to be like okay we have to really be a sci-fi show and really think of like strange things that can sort of keep happening I like that the show didn't bother dangling the carrot of like, but why did the leftovers happen? <laughs> like the book is is very, probably more so than the show, like flat out just like this happened and now it's about people moving on. Um, I think the show just kind of dropped that after a few. And it's like, of course, people would wonder what happened. Like mm -hmm. that's very natural. And like I did like the detail, like scientists are trying to figure out why this <laughs> happened. But at the, at the it didn't really give an illusion of like, we're going to explain why this happened. Yeah, the show Which is very much like, about like, oh, like, why do these things happen? Maybe it doesn't really matter at all. Like, that's <laughs> kind of the thesis of the show. Yeah, I really liked how they showed, like, how people in our world, like, would grapple with something like that. Like, having the little details, like, having, like, a nosy mom tell Nora that, like, kids who got more vitamin D didn't get departed and stuff. I was like, God, there would be dumb shit like that if something <laughs> yeah. like this There's happened. There's a guy with, like, the motivational book in uh, the TV show. Like, I really liked that angle that I don't think is in the book at all, right? I don't think so. I don't remember that. One thing I, I thought was interesting about the show, one thing I kept remembering about the show from after season one while I was reading the book was the part where Nora sells her house at the beginning of season two. Yeah. Because um, we were talking about the passive income before, and I think that was that was where the show used its in and was like, we can still just give <laughs> Nora a shit ton of money. This will help make things easier resetting the table. But also the element of like her house was worth so much money because three people disappeared there and like people were trying to figure out what the fuck that was about. Mm. Like, that was something that felt like it could have come out of the book. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I love that scene with, like, the doctor, uh, the scientist talking about how they should get more information. And I was also, like, yelling at him, like, don't sit on the table. If you think this is a good theory, why are you sitting at that table? Um, I was about to drop a hot take earlier. Um, well, let's hear it. I didn't really feel this way reading the book. I just wanted to be on, on the ride. But watching the show, I did not buy into Kevin and Nora at the beginning. I did not want it. I was like, this this is wrong. This is bad. Which in some ways you like get sort of vindicated by their journey. But I was sort of somewhat actively rooting against them uh, while watching the show. Kevin's like a maniac in the TV show. For me, I just like love them so much in season three of the show. And then also the book that by the time I actually started season one, it was like, Anything could have happened. She could have chopped his head off and I'd be like, they work it out. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I definitely get not being into them. Um, but to me, I'm just like, oh, they're both just falling apart. And I love it. They're both hot and falling apart. <laughs> and you're just like, her, her uh, husband who got leftovers sucks so bad. She's earned <laughs> fucking Justin Thoreau. I liked that Doug sucked in very unique ways between the TV <laughs> show and the book. One thing, um, thinking about the the visual aspect of the show versus the prose aspect of the book, um, the guilty remnant, they sure were talkative in the book for a bunch of people who swear a vow of silence. <laughs> 
I think the show really utilized like, you know, you can use body language, you can do all types of things. You don't have to do lingering shots of people writing on a notepad to get across <laughs> the idea that they've written what they're about to show. Um, whereas I, and I didn't really get at some points in the book, cause it's like, you don't have to labor over them, like getting out a notebook and writing every time you can just like have them flash words at each other. Um, but I get there. It wasn't just that it was like, there were reasons that these characters were talking to each other. Um, and I liked that by the end, Meg and Lori were just like openly talking to each other and not even <laughs> bothering. But I did find myself thinking about how in the show, these people were so much more dedicated that I, I couldn't imagine um, Megan Laurie at the end of their journey in the book breaking their vow of silence and of course you have that great moment in the show when Laurie finally does yeah in the show they're more of like an ominous presence while in the book like we actually get deep into it which it's just a different way mm -hmm. of like doing it I think yeah I feel like the the book felt a lot more sort of just like the emotional perspective of Laurie and Meg like we're just sort of with them um, and then in the the TV show I got much more the sense of just like the town like hating them and like building to that sort of like um we have always lived in the castle type climax of mm. just like everyone being like yeah maybe the fire trucks won't be able to park <laughs> cares, except for kevin Did a scene i really with them that i really um missed from the book um when it got to like christmas i was really looking forward to that sort of like sad but kind of sweet scene when they like go to Kevin's and he just offers them like more and more food and they have like a weird rule where as if it's offered to them they're like allowed so they just like gorge themselves on all this stuff um and then it ended up being like instead a complete bummer scene with her serving him the divorce <laughs> I was surprised by how different the divorce stuff was in the book yeah in the book you, I feel like you get um her motivation a lot more with it being like just literally the cult being like get us half of your husband's money <laughs> like we need it um whereas in the show it felt much more like a like symbolic thing and not like the brass tacks of like what will happen to all of their uh money. in the show you like feel like kevin deserves it i think because the, the big <laughs> a little bit he's all he also kind of acts i mean his response is understandable but he like blows his stack when she asks him to Air mm -hmm. serves him the papers and I also always thought it was really funny he like he has some reason to curse at her and he says fuck and then every time that scene is reused in the previously on they really awkwardly chop out him saying fuck <laughs> <laughs> but in in the book you don't even get this idea that he's that upset about it like there's no internal right. like oh I'm really pissed but I gotta be a nice guy about this which you do get yeah. sometimes from both him and Tom <laughs> Yeah, in the book, I felt like he had so much, like, sort of tender feelings for Lori still that this was, like, genuinely a, like, surprise and hurtful. Um, and the show, it's much more, like, pure anger, which I felt, like, a lot less sympathetic towards and yeah. a lot more, like, do you even, like, want to be married to her? Like, why are you upset? Like, this seems best for everyone, yeah. Because there's that whole episode where we, like, see what they were doing, like, the day of. And, like, he was already, like, trying to get out of that family pretty early on. <laughs> yeah. Did, what did you guys think of that detail that he was cheating on her that day? Because that's, he's he's never cheated on her in the mm -hmm. book, as far as we know, right? I think it fits the character no. in the show, for sure. Uh, I don't think it, like, make, would make sense for Kevin in the book. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. Um, I I I think it fits for the show, and I think by that point I wasn't under any impression that Kevin Gar TV show Kevin Garvey was really that great of a guy. 
Yeah, I guess I what I sort of missed um, without uh, that detail is just like I liked the idea of like Lori of Kevin like genuinely doing nothing wrong and like Lori being like he is a great husband and and just like um, her just being like this is what I have to do even though it is like 100% completely the wrong decision and I should not do such a cruel thing to my husband. I really sort of liked the like emotional bite of that as opposed to it being a marriage that was kind of already in the toilet. <laughs> I like that for Lori throughout the book kind of because that that feeling you get, um, that feeling that she has isn't just about Kevin. I feel like that she has that feeling about the guilty remnant too. Um, not not like so much questioning their beliefs like um, Tom does, but more like questioning if this was the right thing to do for her. And you get at the end where she's like, I, I feel like I came all this way around just to end up exactly where I started, just in a, a different yeah. position. And maybe I'd rather be at home with my husband and daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, uh, in the book, I feel like something really interesting is just like how similar Laurie and Tom are to the point of like almost being redundant characters because mm-hmm. um, they have that similarity, like I said, of like, you know, they haven't really lost anyone. They're just like really rattled by acquaintances and then they both kind of go on their journeys with their separate cults and sort of are like, should I be doing this? How did I like end up here? I liked that in the book, um, I, I really, we talked about this earlier. I liked having the insight into what Tom was thinking a lot more in yes. the book. I think that I felt sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, I felt like the show is really uninterested in Tom. It's almost boring, and it almost kind of like yeah. I um I joke about liking how good this show is at objectifying men, (laughs) but I actually found it kind of a bummer that it has so little interest in Tom and so much interest in showing Chris Zilka naked. I just like felt bad for him at some point. (laughs) The first time, uh, jumping out of book territory, but the the first time in the show that we get full frontal not only of um him but also Liv Tyler being a rape scene was, oh yeah uh, it was a lot Isn't of things he also naked it... in the pilot oh was he because I remember being like it's insane that they get to that like right away oh he like jumps I mean, in the I pool right like... and he like screams in the pool it's like a big dramatic shot yeah yeah because I remember because when someone recommended it to me his recommendation was specifically like you see Chris Silka's dick, but don't stop watching after that because it happens right away. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, sorry, continue, because that scene you're talking about is extremely upsetting. Yeah, I mean, I was going to characterize it as a, a real fucking bummer. So yeah. <laughs> not to make light of it. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's absolutely horrifying. And um, unfortunately, there's like another scene in season three um, I won't spoil it, but there's like a scene where it seems like Matt is about to get assaulted. Um, so it's like a kind of a weird running theme. Matt is like the show. John Locke of TV's The Leftovers. They can't stop beating him <laughs> with a stick, which I personally yeah. like. But he's he's basically just supposed to be like Job, right? Yeah. Oh no! In yeah. one point in an episode, he literally is like, "My favorite book of the Bible is Job," <laughs> and I'm like, "They should have just named this character Job at this point." <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. In general, I, I do really like that about him, that he's just having a heck of a time. Um, in the, uh, is his wife a total addition in the TV show? I think show? so, yeah. I, I don't think he's, yeah. his wife is even mentioned in the book, right? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't so. think so. Yeah, I remember when we watched the show, um, when he's 
reflecting on his wife sadly my roommate was like oh he used to be a wife guy and then when you see her there in the house he's like she was like oh he's still a wife guy good for him (laughs) yeah I I think that was a good aspect I think the adding his wife did a lot for the show to make him a sympathetic character but I think there were other things about the way he was written and the, the fact that we got more insight into his character that made him a lot more sympathetic than just like the really abrasive guy who is printing a shitty tabloid about people who are not <laughs> around to defend themselves. Yeah, they definitely did a great job rounding up that character. I also feel like the book character was um, kind of shittier in the things that he revealed. Like obviously he reveals to Nora in both iterations that um, her husband was cheating. But in the book, there's like um, a teacher or somebody who he reveals as bisexual. Oh, yeah. And I oh, wow. can't, couldn't imagine the show, Matt Jameson being like, she's condemned to hell because she had sex with a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the show, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't, like in the book, he, it feels like he's doing it for like petty reasons. In the show, he feels mm-hmm. like he's doing it because he, like, he feels like he has to do this. Yeah, it's a lot, it's born out of self-righteousness, whether you agree with yeah. it or not. He kind of reminds me of have either of you guys seen the show Review on Comedy Central? The I've seen like show? episodes of it. I need to finish it. Yeah, it has like a very similar vibe, I think, to Matt Jameson of just him being like, I absolutely need to do this thing. And like you at home watching it be like, you in no way have to do this. But... <laughs> well, like Matt Jameson's thing in the show is like, I have to suffer. Like the way to salvation is suffering. And that's like a really interesting angle that's like not at all there in the book. Mm-hmm, yeah. I still find him interesting in the book, um, even though obviously it's a much smaller character, but I like the thing of like being like, Nora, I, I wanted to give you a heads up that I'm going to expose you about this husband. <laughs> yeah. Just like the idea that he's like, obviously I have to do this, but... I'm Now I'm thinking about how shitty uh, Doug Durst is again. Doug, what a terrible name, too. Oh, Doug yeah. Durst. <laughs> does, she, does she consider um, changing her name in the show, or did I make that up in my brain? No, there's like a scene when she's in the courthouse asking for right. the divorce when she's like, and do you want a name change? And she's just like, no, I'm a Durst. I don't think they ever have her like explain why, but that moment is interesting. Yeah, because I'm thinking about how in the book she had a fleeting moment where she wanted to shred her whole identity and change her name and then couldn't think of anything. She does go blonde in the book. It's like a big change. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of hair changes in the book that I feel like uh, maybe the actors in the show were enough to do. Sure. Well, uh, TV TV loves uh, taking uh, teen characters who are supposed to be shaved bald and being like, okay, we'll give her heavy eyeliner. And that's the same. <laughs> it's like the exact same thing Gossip Girl did with Vanessa. <laughs> we're never gonna, we're never gonna get to see a shaved head on TV. Was Gossip Girl based on a book? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. And then, yeah, the... The thing with uh, Nora in the book, I love because I love how much um, the book is just like about how Nora is awesome and is the best. And so I love them being like, a lot of people look bad with blonde hair, but nope, she looks yeah. perfect in a different <laughs> way. I was like, good for her. And they did it all without describing her as sexy. <laughs> I was really starting. I know I brought it up before, but and, and I started to tire of it um, far before the end of the book. But at one point, I felt like our boy Tom just gave up. Like, (laughs) Tom runs into the barefoot people, and here's how one of the people he's looking at is described. One of the girls looked up. She had a hot body, (laughs) a bad complexion, and one missing tooth. That is the extent of the description. It's like, just fill in the blank. What's hot? 
I feel like it would be less weird to just be like, there was a girl there and no description. Yeah, or like just, she was hot despite her missing tooth and bad complexion, but she was still hot though. She, her, her body was hot. <laughs> she she had a missing tooth really feels like a like male author getting self-conscious of describing everyone being hot and being like hot, but with a missing <laughs> tooth. The women are hot or curvy or both. <laughs> and I assume when they're curvy but not hot, it's like she's curvy but not in a sexy way. <laughs> it's it uh. it my <laughs> to get to get a little more critical uh for a mm. second, it gets a little hard to imagine these characters in your mind's eye when they're all hot and sexy, mm. but not really described beyond that. Cause when it is like whatever that means to you, then it's like, well, they all look they're all sexy. They're all sexy ladies. <laughs> oh, I, you know, honestly did not even notice that. I think I just love picturing babes so much that I was like, nice, another babe. <laughs> Everyone in this town is hot, which does make it ripe for a TV adaptation. That's true of the TV show, <laughs> yeah. too, also. <laughs> Everyone in that show is hot. I liked that Kevin, we got to experience Kevin doing more exercise than just light jogging that apparently makes him <laughs> super ripped. <laughs> Yeah, the Kevin in the book is, like, huge. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, he's, like, I picture, like, um, Ben Affleck, like, a few months after Justice League, like, when he's, like, slightly less ripped and getting more flab back. Um, but, yeah, there's a part where it's, like, it mentions uh, Kevin towering over Nora, and I I screenshotted that and was, like, uh, Damon Lindelof said Short King writes when he can't <laughs> Yeah, Thoreau doesn't seem like a small town guy at all. He just seems like the he seems like a very like Hollywood built man. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um yeah, Justin Thoreau and Chris Zilka both seem very uh planted from Hollywood. <laughs> they uh they, they're not related in this and don't look anything alike except for having some genetic uh hollywood stuff going on they're both trophy husbands justin thoreau was married to uh, jennifer aniston and chris zilka was engaged to paris hilton <laughs> i uh I, I looked on his uh wikipedia and he was like chris zilka was homeless when he first moved to la and then years later engaged to paris hilton good for him um which is, yeah, more interesting than Tom on the show, for sure. What's he known oh for, like, acting-wise? Is he in other stuff other than Leftovers? I think probably Spider-Man is still his biggest. He was Flash Thompson in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Oh, I didn't even see that. Yeah, I know him from Secret Circle. But, um, yeah, I'm a big fan of him. He's, like, extremely good-looking and competent at acting, which is, like, the same as being excellent. It, like, cancels <laughs> I feel like... Even though we got less insight into Tom in the show is boring, but I didn't really like Tom in the book. Like yeah, me neither. Yeah, I didn't sympathize with him very much. Yeah, it was definitely hard to like. Too much of his storyline was like about what might happen between him and the like extremely vulnerable teen he's traveling with. Yeah, it's like mostly him like fetishizing this like underage like pregnant girl. <laughs> Yeah. Which that's like not really in the show, right? Like he's not really like lusting for her in the show. I didn't get that vibe. Maybe it's supposed to be there, but I'm not sure. I felt like there was a little bit of that in the show. Cause there's okay. the there's the moment when um the cult leader like tells her like tells him, uh, like, don't don't fuck her. 
but I don't know. For me, it felt like a little out of nowhere, but I don't know if that was just like the actors not having chemistry and they were like supposed to. I don't know. <laughs> but you you felt like there was something, Andrew, between them? I, I felt like not necessarily between them. Um, I felt maybe even more like uh, Christine was repulsed by Tom in uh, the show than in the book. Mm. Um, in the book, I get the sense that like, like they're they're sweet to each other, and he's projecting feelings onto something that isn't there. And also, she's a teenager, dude. That's gross. You're like mentally aware of that, but you still keep on trucking. Good for you. Don't like it. Um, yeah, it was a little much to have that and the Kevin. And yeah, that, uh, what's her name? Not a Amy's fan. Storyline. Yeah. Um, wasn't wasn't a fan of that plot point, admittedly, in the show either. But I did like how it was handled better in terms of like. You're meant to feel uncomfortable about it, I feel like. And the show mm-hmm. makes you think more about like, well, did it happen? And like, if it did, how do I feel about it? Or do I just not want it to have happened? Mm-hmm. Um, like you get the scene of her and and Jill at the park, um, which was a very tense scene. And it's amped up to such ridiculousness that it is left ambiguous. Um, but going back to Tom and Christine, um, I felt like the... Tom had feelings for Christine in the show, but maybe had more awareness that like this wasn't something for various reasons that could exist. Um, I also didn't remember Christine being a teenager in the sh- in the show, but that might just be a TV thing because at the end, obviously, Holy Wayne is still like disgraced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they mention all the girls being underage, but maybe not. Um, but I feel like you're just supposed to know. Yeah, I guess I just like new from the book so i'm not sure um yeah it's hard because tv definitely casts 20 year olds for everyone yeah i yeah i just assumed she was a teenager i was gonna say uh, holy wayne in the book just goes to jail right doesn't die at the end yeah yeah i think so which i really liked that part of the show i liked how those like plot lines converged really maybe not even really well i just like really liked it <laughs> like Tom is going through his crisis and then all of a sudden it, it does feel kind of random and I expected it to happen in the book and was kind of shot. I, I expected more like more to be shown about how Wayne ended up there. But um, in the book, he's like already on his decline. Um, but I definitely liked how Holy Wayne's downfall was portrayed in the show. Mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed with like the the sort of lack of like setup and like backstory of that character. Mm-hmm. Cause like he really comes off just like sort of flat, like um, crazy cult leader. I felt like, yeah. whereas like That's in the true. book, I really liked how much he just seemed like a like sad dad who like <laughs> stumbled into this, but then like more and more was like, since I'm doing this, I guess I'll impregnate a bunch of teens. Yeah. In the show, it's like ambiguous whether he is or isn't magic. I feel like, and like he kind of just ends up being like more of a force, kind of like the guilty remnant, mm-hmm. which is an interesting take on him. Mm-hmm. I felt like in the sh- and again, I don't know how much of this is due to just not having an insight into Tom's character, but I also felt like in the show, Tom was a lot more on board with um, Holy Wayne than he was in the book. Like by the time we catch up to him in the book and we meet him, he's already like Holy Wayne's been defrauded, and he's not. He doesn't have any illusion that this is like a good guy. But I feel like the show takes really until the second season to be like, okay, he doesn't, whether he did or didn't believe in it at the time, he believes it's bullshit because now he's willing to like tell these people that he's the magic hugs guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right, guys, should we wrap up? Or definitely if you guys had any more uh, big points about anything that you wanted to get out there, now's the time. 
I had a random question that I wanted to put out there yeah. from something that happened in the book and was not adapted to the show. Uh, do you think the army guy made it all the way to the barefoot people, or do you think he got cold feet? No pun intended. <laughs> I don't remember that part. Oh, yeah. I actually don't remember that oh, part. Oh, he's, so he's on the bus with Christine and this, like, drunk army guy, this drunk soldier, like, comes over and starts, like, jammering at them. And Tom's really tense and he thinks, like, they're going to get found out and he thinks this guy is going to, like, interlope with Christine. But then he tells him that he's in the war, which also you get the interesting detail that I thought was really fitting that America's gone to, like, five more wars since the left arm's event, because what else does America do? Um, yeah. So he's off to go to Yemen, and they end up talking to like four in the morning. And then in one of those, again, like this thing happened with, while you were turning the pages, so we're going to look back at it. Um, it's revealed that in the middle of the night, he stopped off at the middle of nowhere, um, abandoned his family, including his brother, who lost a leg in the war, mm -hmm. to go be with the barefoot people, because Tom, who was not actually with the barefoot people, told him about how wonderful it was oh yeah i do remember that now um yeah i like that whole part um and yeah there's definitely a, a big theme going on of everyone just sort of being like who can i like join join with who will just tell me what to do which you definitely see with someone going from the army to having like one mm. conversation about the barefoot people and being like i guess them instead um yeah which i think is definitely a very resonant feeling just being like yeah oh, i just need someone to tell me what to do <laughs> i didn't think he made it all the way <laughs> that's fair yeah um all right do you guys want to get into to rating the book and the show sure so i really really liked the book um i have to to reread it again but definitely when i read it in january i was just like this is perfect. I was riveted from page to page and it just, mm -hmm. uh, it left me feeling really good with that ending, you know, cause I was, I was really ready to accept Nora breaking up with Kevin and was like, uh, all right, I liked them, but she's breaking up with him. Okay. I accept it. And then when instead we got, uh, them having a baby together, I was like, this just makes me feel so good. I'm just so <laughs> happy. It came together so beautifully. So for me, the book is a five-star book. And then um, the show, uh, I also really like. I think it's really interesting and has a lot of great standout episodes. Episode three, the one that focuses on Matt Jameson. And then the penultimate episode of season three, I watch like all the time and things just incredible. Um, so I'm going to give the show uh, four stars because it's also, it's very good, but did not quite hit me in the same, this is perfect and riveting way that the book did. Sure. Um, all right, uh, Michael, what would you give him? So wait, are we just going off of like the first season or like the entire series? Um, all right, let's do first season. Okay. Uh, I definitely prefer the book to like the first season of the show, which I think is like more of a mixed bag for me. Yeah. There are like individual episodes I really like, but like as a whole, I think it's like a little messier. Um, the book I think is like really compelling and gripping and I like spending time with those characters and just like getting in their heads. So the show, I, or sorry, the book, I'd give a five-star rating. Nice. The show, I'd probably give, like, three and a half or four. Four? I think four is, like, a respectable <laughs> yeah. amount of stars to give it. Andrew, what, did you, what would you give? So I'll start with the TV show, because um, I, mm -hmm. I watched the first season first, uh, which I will also give four stars. Um, it, it 
for me was like a little bit of a climb at first, but there are definitely some standout episodes and I really like how the first season wraps up while also like sort of promising more. Um, so it, it takes a while to get there, but when it, when it's, it's got high highs. So I'll <laughs> yeah. give the first season of four. I have differing opinions about the book. Um, <laughs> the book for me, uh, I didn't really like the writing very much. I didn't think it was mm. bad, um, but I didn't think it was necessarily good. Um, and it's not just, I, I know I kept bringing up like the sexy thing, but that wasn't all about it. Um, it was just something I didn't, the characters to me sometimes didn't speak in believable ways. Um, I felt like the ways that pop culture were referenced was kind of like a mixed bag. I, I felt like the book takes place after the financial crisis because it's mentioned, but then characters talk about like John Madden football, like it's 1994. <laughs> and they also use like an instant messenger client rather than Facebook. Um, so that to me, I was just like, not just what time is this book taking place, but like what world is Tom Perota living in and trying to reflect back to us? <laughs> Um, not the same one that I was living in, in 2010. Um, but it's a lot of stuff just added up to, um, me preferring the artistry of the TV show. The plotting itself of the book, I did think was enjoyable. I definitely see how it was right for an adaptation, but I did enjoy the adaptation more. So I'm going to give the book overall three stars. Okay. Um, all right. So now we have our recommendations, um, so since I preferred the book, I'm going to recommend a show for fans of the book. And I decided since um, Leftovers goes so heavily into being um, really like a sci-fi show and really um, like getting weird and strange, um, I decided to pick a show that captures much more the sort of like down-to-earth emotional aspects of the book. Um, so I'm going to recommend the show Rectify which is about a, um, a man who got sentenced from a very young age uh, to prison for, I think, like 20 years, a really long time. Um, and the show is just about sort of his family dealing with uh, the fallout of this sort of unthinkable event. Um, so it's, on, it's a, obviously a much, much smaller scale than The Leftovers, but I think the way it goes into sort of family dealing with an event that to them is super unthinkable and hard to wrap your mind around um it's it's pretty similar to the leftovers book and i think uh i think people really get into it uh andrew uh, what do you want to recommend um so what's funny is that when when you asked us to think about this i had had a thought earlier in the day um it just like tangentially related to the show and when you asked that i tried to think of like other answers but um i don't know that many books Aside from <laughs> aside from Left Behind, which I'm not recommending, um, that I would really directly connect with um, the leftovers in in my personal experience. So, what I'm I'm going to give a cop out answer and say that if you enjoy uh, Damon Lindelof adaptations of literature for HBO, uh, mm-hmm. and you enjoyed his somewhat sequel to Watchmen, and you haven't read Watchmen, you ought to because it's an incredible <laughs> book. So, um, just read Watchmen, everybody. It's great. <laughs> There's pictures, but that's okay. <laughs> Hell yeah. Michael, what would you what are you gonna recommend? Um, so since I preferred the book to the first season of the Leftovers, uh the show I'd recommend would be it seems like kinda weird because it's also based on a book, but it reminded me a lot of like Big Little Lies, which is about like this this like town dealing with like their disillusionment with like their life. 
Uh, I think that's an interesting way. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, I enjoyed just spending time with those characters and just like seeing like the flaws uh, that are like slowly being revealed about this like little small town. I think that and it's not super similar, but I don't know. I, for some reason, there is a connection there for me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, everyone's reaction to that show was like, oh, Reese Witherspoon is playing adult Tracy Flick. So that's a Tom Parada connection. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, you guys got anything in particular you want to plug? Uh, you can just follow me on Twitter. I'm at, uh, at Sriracha Chow. That's S-R-I-R-A-C-H-A-C-H-A-U. Um, I'm posting. <laughs> yep. He is posting. It's a very good Twitter <laughs> account. I definitely recommend it. Andrew? Um, I'm on Twitter as well at NotTheMarsh. Um, and also, if you want to throw money at my job, check out patreon.com slash wokeaf. Uh, it's, it's left of left a political commentary. Uh, and it updates five times a week. So you get a lot of wow. bang for your buck. And I work nice. nonstop at it. <laughs> Wow. How long are those episodes? Five days. An hour. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's intense. That's impressive, actually. That's why yeah. they pay me the moderate bucks. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Do you want to learn falsehoods? Do you want to learn the not-truths? Do you want to go to hell? Join Eric McAdams, Alea Plotney, and Liam Sr. as they go to hell. We Are Experts <laughs> is a podcast on the Major Cast Network. Each episode, we take a topic we know nothing about and speculate wildly till our hearts content. And then they sort of learn a little bit about the real topic at the end. But not too much. Just a little. Tune into We Are Experts. Wherever you get podcasts, whenever we feel like posting it. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.